Well, it's dangerous when you start messing around with, with people's traditions and uh, you, uh, especially their holiday traditions. I've done that before, kind of inadvertently. I remember one time we had a little thing called Preacher's Pals. All the little children came up. It was Christmas Sunday, and I had all the little children come forward, and they were all kind of gathered around there. And I said, now, you guys know there's no Santa Claus, right? <laughs> I was uh, really young, and I didn't know you were supposed to lie to kids and since I'm older, I know now that you're supposed to lie to them. And, and I'm, one of the mothers is still an, an enemy to this day because I warped her, her little boy and told him that there was no Santa Claus when she was trying to effectively uh, lie, lie to him. And uh, so, yeah, you mess with people on stuff like that. Now, Sandy, one of our secretaries, and she's a really nice lady. She's a Christian now. Um, but... You've you got to be a nice lady and a Christian to be one of our, our secretaries. And, but if you hang around these ladies and you listen, she does kind of have a dark past. Um, and uh, I have permission to tell you a little bit about it this morning. It was interesting. I just, when I heard this, I knew I would want to tell you. <laughs> she told me that when she was little, she was told there was a Santa Claus, and she believed that. And the first, first person that told her there wasn't a Santa Claus, she beat him up. So... If you have a complaint about our church and you call, you want to get B because Sandy might beat you up. No, no, she's, she's saved now and she's very nice and she rarely, rarely beats people. Um, we, we pass that job around. Uh, <laughs> who gets the beating? Uh, but you, you and I both know that um, the millions of people have the name of Christ on their lips this time of year and so many kind deeds are being done, so many honorable things that human beings are doing, many people are just, they're confused about what Christmas is really all about, and they really don't know the Lord Jesus. And as a result of that, even though there are a few people that probably, very few that are, that are intentionally trying to do this, they end up celebrating a kind of a profanity, a profane thing, rather than a sacred thing. You see what I'm saying? It's not sacred to them. It isn't sanctified. It isn't holy. It's just a it's a, it's a, it's an observance to them, and so we've uh, we're in a series of messages about how to have a sanctified Christmas, and I'll review just a little bit in a minute. I'll show you a little something here. I don't know if you can, uh, if you can uh, make that out. That's a birth certificate. I wrote that out myself. I've done a lot of writing, thousands of articles. I've written books, and and uh, but I've never written anything that I'm more proud of than this little piece of writing that I did 21 years ago this morning. It's um, Hannah Ruth Pierpont's birthday today. And she's the pastor's daughter, so, yeah. I, I wove it into a sermon illustration. Isn't that slick of me? What a celebration this was that morning. Well, after, a little before 7 o'clock, I think if you can read, this is 6.54 a.m. Hannah was born in our home. And the children would come one at a time when they would wake up and they would come and celebrate with us. Such celebration, such rejoicing. Lois had asked me what I wanted for Christmas that year, and I said, a daughter. And so she, she gave me a daughter. I thought that was good of her. And um, Christmas, see, Christmas, um, I was holding little Hannah uh, in my arms uh, by the tree in a rocking chair, just looking down at her pretty little face and just rejoicing over that. And when I think deeply about it, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. When I think deeply about that, it makes me want to shout. 
When I think deeply about it, it just makes me want to cry. When I think deeply about that, it makes me want to thank God. I just have such emotions that come up in my heart if I stop for a while and if I think deeply about that. And this morning, this is the third way that I want to talk to you about, about how to have a sanctified Christmas. You remember number one was rest. Build in some time for Christmas Sabbathing in this whole Advent season. Build in some times for rest. And I hope that you've been able to do that a little bit. And you'll still do that some, that you build in those times for rest. That would be one way to make a Christian Christmas. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. The book of Hebrews talks about that. Another way is to tell other people. is to make it known to others. And before I move on, let me just tell you a little bit about Tom and Libby Little. Tom and Libby Little went to Afghanistan in 1979. Missionaries, they raised their daughters in Afghanistan. And all these years, you know, they have a home in New York, but they raised their daughters in Afghanistan. 30 years of service in this amazing... And he is an optometrist. So he could have made a whole lot of money staying stateside, but he and his family went to a very, very poor part of Afghanistan. I'm going to tell you a couple of little stories about this family. Um, one of the things that they, they did while they were there, Libby was, was talking about this recently at a, at a world conference on evangelism. She was telling a little bit about her raising her kids, she and Tom raising the kids in, in Afghanistan. And she said one, once they had uh, uh, the dedication of a hospital and there was all kinds of uh, military, it came under uh, a military attack. And, and everyone fled. They prayed about it, and they decided that if they would, were going to die, they would die, but they were going to stay. And so they stayed during that time, and they survived that time, and they were unharmed. But, but after that, the people always called them, those are the people who stayed. It's kind of interesting. Later on, uh, the daughter came home from the hospital, and she'd been working in the hospital, and she said, there's so many Muslim people, they don't know anything about Christmas. So she said, I asked them, can we have a Christmas party? And um, they said, why, that would be interesting. So she went to the hospital in a, in a primarily Muslim country, and she had a Christmas party, and she told the Christmas story. Incidentally, my oil change Muslim guy friend, Samuel, I went through to check the tires on the car this week, and he said, Merry Christmas to me. That doesn't mean he's a Christian. He's not, but he's a good, he's a good businessman, and I think he's a sincere friend. Who, who knew that would be a gracious thing to say to me. And as I drove my car away, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if that man really came to understand who Jesus really is? These people dedicated their lives, 30 years of their lives to this. Once there was some shelling going on, and it was very, very dangerous. And uh, they had a basement, and they realized their neighbors didn't have a basement. Uh, and so they, they went to all their neighbors, and they said, when the shelling comes, you can come to our basement. So all the neighbors would gather, and this tremendously frightening time. They were all frightened to death. And so the neighbors would come and they were all gathered in her basement. She was so frightened. She told this story. She was so frightened at one point she couldn't say anything. But she just, while they were huddled together in the basement, she's on her knees and she's just saying the name of Jesus over and over again. Jesus, Jesus. It's all that she could say. And then everybody left. And then she kind of uh, chastised herself that she never really made the gospel plain. But years later, one of these young women came back. She said she was a Christian. Libby said to her, how did that happen? She said, do you remember when we were in your basement? We were being shelled and you were just saying the name of Jesus? She says, I, I didn't know who Jesus was. I, I wasn't that interested. But while you were saying the name of Jesus over and over again, 
a warm, a warmth flood in my heart. And, and then and there I decided I'm going to find out who Jesus is. In August, mid-August this year, Tom was leading a group of ten people into an extremely poor part of Afghanistan. They were doing obviously free they were, they, there was a simple procedure that they could do that would restore the sight to people who hadn't seen for years. And, and, and you had to go where they were going. You had to take the toughest all-terrain vehicles as far as you could go. And then you had to hike. And the team was made up of 10 people who were very physically fit because they couldn't get in unless they were very fit people. They, they did their ministry. They were coming back out and they saw three men walking along the road and picked them up to show them a kindness and uh, made their way across the river and they stopped for lunch and those men turned on them and others came in and those ten missionaries were murdered. Tom was the leader of the group and Libby is a widow today because these people were so taken with the story of God coming down that they wanted everybody in the world to know it. How could we make Christmas sanctified? We, we sanctify our Christmas by rest, Sabbath. We sanctify our Christmas by talking, by telling others. But today I want to tell you more, and I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to see, just want to talk about the story, tell the story just a little bit. You're going to your Bible in Matthew chapter 1, and we'll just take some time to look at the various different places where there's a birth narrative in three of the Gospels, Maybe even we'll take a moment to look at one or two of the commentary from the epistles. I heard a comedian once. You ever hear a comedian on TV and he's got a clean act on TV? Because he's cleaned up for TV, but he's not a clean person. And I was kind of sucked into that once. So I was watching this comedian. And before I realized what he was doing, he began to, in a filthy and a vile way, began to blaspheme God. I'll tell you what he said. And I will say it in an appropriate way because of my reverence for God. He said, um, religion is a hoax. He didn't use those words. He used filthy expletives. He said, religion is a hoax. He said, think about it. You've got an invisible guy up in the sky there with ten rules. He says, and he's watching you to see that you keep these ten rules. He says, now, if you break any of those rules, he's got a place he's going to send you. It's a place where there's fire and worms and it's forever. And you're going to burn in that place it's called hell forever and ever. But he loves you. That's what he said. So if you had coffee with that guy, what would you say? First of all, I'm not sure I would have coffee with the guy. That's a level of blasphemy I'm not really that comfortable around. But if you were to talk to him and he were to show any interest, what would you say to him? I thought about that for a year of fool. Yeah. All right. That, that, might, be, that might work. That would certainly be true. One of the things I thought of was, hey, George, you, you left out. Uh, sorry, George. His name was George, too. I saw, saw nothing personal. I know how you feel about Jesus. I would say, hey, George, you left out a really important part of that story. Everything you said was, was kind of true, but you left out a critical part of the story. You don't want to mess with God's story, right? I mean, we should fool with God's story, tell parts of it and not all of it. 
It, we should tell the whole thing. It's a beautiful story. Now, somebody said this once. If you, if you give me a fact, I'll try to remember. But if you tell me a story, it will live in my heart forever. And why is that ever true about the gospel? The story of the incarnation of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, taking on flesh, human form. Part of the story that George didn't talk about while he was blaspheming God was but God, who is absolutely holy and demands absolute holiness, sent his perfect son down from heaven, prearranged in eternity past, that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be the righteousness that none of us could be and keep the law that none of us could keep and that he would die the death that we deserve to die so that none of us would have to go to hell, but that we could be in the bliss and the glory of heaven. The comedian left out the best part of the story, but he knows now because he's dead. But we know the story, so we don't need someone blaspheming to entertain us. We have this gospel of God. Let's just read these sacred words from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he, shall, he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Now let the story sink in just a little bit. It's Christmas Sunday. We don't need to innovate here. We've just got this most wonderful story of the incarnation of God, born of a virgin, to save us from our sins. We don't need to make that relevant, folks. That's relevant. That's wonderful. You think on that for a while until it makes you want to shout. You think on that for a while until it makes you want to cry. You think on that deeply enough. It'll make your, your heart tremble, your hands tremble. Tears may come to the hardest heart if you think deeply about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Think about it until it makes you want to shout. Hey, look in Luke chapter 2. Don't you love it? Luke chapter 2. Don't you love it? Luke? Don't you love it? Sound like Presbyterians, folk. Sound like... I like Presbyterians. Don't misunderstand. They're, They're kind of known for being stolid and not saying amen a lot. Not Baptists. Baptists say amen at the right times. They know. Yeah. Amen. Luke, Luke chapter 2. Just trying to keep you awake. What's this? Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because 
he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Then there's the story of the shepherds, of Simeon and Anna and so forth. If you think about it deeply enough, it makes you want to shout, makes you want to cry, stirs your heart, changes your life. Look at John chapter 1. This is another kind of uh, birth narrative, if you will. This is a little different in John chapter 1. You're familiar with it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. Who are we talking about here? This is Jesus. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it, cannot comprehend it. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's another example. Look in Colossians. You think about that long enough, it'll make you want to shout, make you want to sing, make you want to cry, make your hands tremble. Get to you, make you want to worship, make you want to go, make you want to give. You think about that. It'll change your life. It'll stir you up. It'll make you happy. It'll satisfy you in a deep way. Do you believe that? Colossians chapter 1. This is about the incarnation of God. Colossians chapter 1. Here's what it says, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 19. This is all about the Lord Jesus. He deli- God de- has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, by Him, for by Him and all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. This is the baby, Jesus, we're talking about here. Everything was created through Him and for Him. And he, was, he is before all things. And in Him all things consist. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. If you think about that deeply, what happens? If you think about that real deeply, about God coming in the flesh, dying for our sins, rising again, praying for us now. If you think about that, does that ever make you want to sing? Does that ever make you want to shout? Does that ever make you want to give? Does that ever make you want to worship? Does that make you happy? Does that satisfy you? You think about that deeply enough. That's one of the ways to make a Christmas sacred. It's just to think deeply about the incarnation. And the stuff that happens when you think deeply about that one more, we could go on and on. He's the subject of this entire book. He's the fulcrum of all of history, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, which was good, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He's appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. This is not just your average ordinary baby, now is it? This baby is not your average ordinary baby. The average ordinary baby that you hold in your hands will make you want to shout, make you want to sing. But this baby, Jesus, what a baby he was. Just telling that story makes you 
Well, it makes you want to shout. Makes you want to sing. <laughs> makes you want to, makes you rejoice. Here's the heart of what I'm saying today. The wonder of the incarnation inspires worship. Makes you want to shout. Makes you want to give. Makes you want to pray. Makes you want to praise Him. The wonder of, you take any truth of the Bible like this. Any of these great truths of the Bible, the great truth of the incarnation, God coming down, not to, not, He came down not to condemn, but to save. The comedian had it all wrong. He twisted it on purpose. He, he came to save, the Bible says. God came down to bear our sin and to save. Just You take any slice of, of Christian theology, of, like, of, of biblical truth, take any slice of that, and you think deeply, and you, and you drill down there, and you think deeply about that. It'll make you want to shout. It'll make you want to sing. It'll make you want to serve. It'll make you want to go. It'll change your life. It'll stir you up. You don't have to buy anything to be happy when it comes to that. You have to drink anything to be happy when it comes to that. You don't have to have, you, 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 sometimes this kind of thing leads to feasting and celebrations and festivity, and that's all good. But He Himself is the root of our joy. This is uh, all throughout the Bible. The wonder of the Incarnation inspires worship, and worship works wonders in us. What happens when you think deeply about the Incarnation or any other truth about Jesus? It makes you want to shout. It makes you want to worship. Now let me show you this in the, in the Christmas story. And, and uh, we'll just go through a little survey, and we'll see if it makes you want to shout. Uh, Luke chapter uh, 1, Mary hears that she is going to be the mother of the Lord Jesus, that she's going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. And what does she do? What does she do? She sings a song. Do you like that? Let's just look at it. It's in Luke chapter 1, you know, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior. She goes on and on. You've got to read this. My soul magnifies the Lord. Why? It's natural when the truth of this story dawns on the deepest part of your soul, it's natural for you to shout or sing or praise. God is honored by this. Now, this should happen in our, in our, in our inner heart. Now, not all of you are effervescent types. Not everybody snap, crackles, and pops. Not everybody's really outgoing. I understand that. Still water runs deep, and aren't you glad? But down in the deepest part of your soul, when you really understand this story, it makes you want to worship Him in a deep way, and that changes you. And that should happen in your heart at a time like this. During an Advent time, this is a thing we think about. In our hearts personally, one-on-one, but it also should happen in every home. Your home should be like this. Jesus should be a really big deal in your home. Your home, there shouldn't be anything else that trumps Jesus and the worship of Jesus in your home. He ought to have a place of honor and worship and preeminence and praise in your heart and in your house, in your home, and among your family. doesn't matter if everybody agrees with you or not. It's your home, so Jesus should be honored there in your home. Stuff that you watch on TV should honor Him. The songs you, sh- you sing or listen to, they should be honoring to Him. The words that you use in your home, He's the silent listener to every conversation. He's present, and if you know this story, and if you believe and you love Him, then your worship shouldn't be just in your heart. And it, it it should be in your home. It should be in your house. It should be among your family. This should be your holy obsession that everybody that you know and love would come to know and love the one that you love, Jesus. This should be true about this church. We shouldn't have any other agenda but honoring Jesus Christ and making Him known. 
And that should be true in the, in the earth. Should be true in your heart, in your home. Should be true in this church. Should be true in our nation. And it should be true all over the earth. The whole Bible says that over and over again. Read the Psalms. They're obsessed with the honor of the name, not the generic name of God that everybody can kind of fill in the blank with their own deity or idol, but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, come in the flesh throughout all the earth. The purpose then of our missionary endeavor is that he would have honor from the people in the earth, that, the, that his name would be on their lips. If you think about it long and hard, it makes you want to sing. And that's what always happens. Zacharias, same thing. And he had a piece in this. And what does he do in, Zachar- in Luke chapter 1 and verse uh, 67? His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And he writes a psalm and he sings a song. He, he speaks forth praise. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's, as soon as he gets his feet, as soon as he can speak, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's rejoicing. The angels came down from heaven to do that. In Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, what a beautiful, sacred part of the Christmas story that we so enjoy. I'm getting behind on my little PowerPoint. There you are. Luke chapter 2 and verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And they were praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angels... The, remember what it says in, a, in a, First Peter and in Hebrews, that, that angels desire to look into these things. They want to be a part of it. Um, uh, the, what do you, you hear that old gospel song? It's the song holy angels cannot sing because we're redeemed people. The song of the redeemed, right? should use that here. That'd be great. We can sing the song of the redeemed because we're redeemed. The angels like to get in on that. They want to praise Him. They know to praise Him. That's their occupation in heaven. And you see it there in the Christmas story. The, the shepherds, of course, did that. Look at verse 17. They see the, the baby. And when they'd seen him, they made widely known the saying. They couldn't keep quiet. It was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. They couldn't keep quiet. Because they got the story embedded in their hearts, and they, they had to shout, they had to sing, they had to praise. It's true in the shepherds. Of course, you know, Simeon and Anna, you see it in them. Look at it in chapter 2 of Luke and verse 29. Simeon takes up Jesus in his arms. What does he do? He bursts out in song. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. On verse 29. Verse 30, now, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He has some other things to say, but he's praising because you can't help but do that when, when you hold this, this baby. And it was true with Anna there, a beautiful story. You know that little story there, a little tiny story of Anna who was faithful in verse 38, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. Just a little bit that we have there, but we know this about her, this devout lady, she opened her lips as soon as she thought about that story. She had to talk about it. She had to give Him praise. And she went. She knew where all the other people lived who were waiting for redemption in Jerusalem. And she went and told them to. So Monday morning, I'm out. And I'm shoveling the snow. I was going to have the boys come out and do it, but I went out. They normally do. I went out. I'm shoveling the snow. It's really, really cold. And uh, I'm just noticing that the trees, the dark trees, are, are traced with snow. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous morning in the neighborhood. 
And this is the kind of quietness that you have when the snow's falling and then the, the invigoration of that cold air and, and I'm just shoveling away and I get hit in the chest with a song that won't go away. And because I'm the fool who rushes in where angels fear to tread, we should sing it. It kind of goes like this, all right? Don't make fun. If you know it, just sing along. It goes like this. I just couldn't get out of my heart. Here's what I did. I'm out there singing, thinking the neighbors think I'm an idiot, you know. And I'm out there just singing this. This is a great song. I go, and what, what is that song? I look it up on YouTube. You ever do that? So now I got, uh, I'm watching a YouTube video of this, and the people are seriously good. Singing, it's like an African-American choir with the Hammond organ, you know, how that works. No? Um, anyway, it, it was wonderful. And I just listened to that four or five times. Finally, you know, I think I was irritating the family, so I plugged my earphones in, listened to it some more. And the tears came and the shouting came. Can, can you, do you know this? When I think about the Lord, you sing with me. How He saved me, how He raised me, how He fills me with the Holy Ghost, how He sealed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up, turned me around, how He set my feet on solid ground. It makes me want to shout, Hallelujah, thank You, Jesus. Lord, You're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Now you know it. Sing with me. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He fills me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost, When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up, turned me around, how He set my feet on solid ground, makes me want to shout, Hallelujah, thank You, Jesus, Lord, You're worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all of the praise. You're not bad for white people. <laughs> every nation and every tribe and every tongue. In the, in the Revelation, you know what it says? You've got this choir going on, and they're singing, You're worthy. And do you remember what they're saying? I think it's chapter 5. I'm a little foggy on this right now. I think it's chapter 5. They're singing, Thou art worthy because you did what? Because you, because you, do you remember? Because you created everything. And so, boom, there it goes. The choir just going crazy in heaven. Everybody's singing, Thou art worthy because this little baby, Jesus, is the creator God. That's amazing if you think about it. Matter of fact, I wrote it down. Let me read it to you. Think about this. Now we're looking at this sweet little baby Jesus. He's got a little tiny infant form that he took on the night of his incarnation. He ste- we step out now into the cold Judean night. There are no city lights to obscure the grandeur of the heavens here. The winter night was clear and cold and quiet. You could hear noises echoing through the mountains. You can see the uninhibited brilliance of the heavenly bodies at night. And so you stand quietly for a while and, and remember the shepherd psalmist words when I consider the heavens the work of your fingers and you realize it's the little baby. He, 
the, think the tiny tender mouth that nurses the breast of the Jewish peasant girl in the manger spoke into existence everything that you can see tonight to the farthest corner of the cosmos beyond the scope of human investigation. His mouth spoke that into being, according to the Bible. The dimpled hands of the infant boy formed all the great mountain ranges of the world like a child playing with sand at the beach. The chubby little baby feet of Jesus, they walked the waves of all the thundering oceans of time. The dark eyes of the little Middle Eastern infant beheld the unfolding of time. From before there was time, his body was new to the world, but his spirit never had a beginning. The voice that cried out in that Palestinian night Time commands the loyalty of the entire world. That little baby, he's the maker of the universe. That little baby is the master of the universe. That little baby is the maintainer of the universe. So that makes you want to shout, makes you want to sing, makes you want to worship him. You worship the baby creator. This is not a profane Christmas. This is a sacred, sanctified, holy Christmas. Praise ye the Lord. The Almighty, the King of creation, O oh, my soul, praise Him for He is my health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple, draw near and join me in this glad adoration. In heaven, we sing He's worthy because He's the Creator. But then you go to chapter 7 and they're singing the same song, but they make a little change. They're singing He's worthy because He was slain. We, we sing about he, He's the worthy because that little baby is the Creator baby and that little baby is the Redeemer baby. Think about that little baby. Think of it. Again, the little baby in the feeding trough would one day die a violent death for us. Look at his little tiny infant face. You know how a little baby faces a little tiny hairs, how sweet and soft a little baby face that one day men, cruel men, would beat his face with their fist and spit in his beautiful face. Those tiny little dimpled hands would be nailed to a cross. Think of that infant head, the sweetness of a baby's head that one day would bear a crown of thorns on his head. And the little pink baby feet, beautiful gospel-bearing, tear-washed, nails would be driven through the feet of a little baby. Think of the back that his, no doubt his, his mother rubbed and patted to put him to sleep at night. That back that is so precious would be, would be torn open with the Roman lashes and sadistic, demonic men would torture Jesus and dis- destroy his back and make his human form unrecognizable. And that little heart is just rising and falling in the little baby chest would burst on the cross one day. We sing about Him because He's worthy because the baby is the Creator. And we sing about Him because He's worthy because the baby is the Redeemer. This is not just your average little baby. I mean, a regular average little baby make you want to shout, make you want to sing, make you want to praise Him. It's a miracle. But Jesus is an unusual baby. Amen? And this story is not just a story that gives us an excuse to overeat or drink or buy stuff. It is a... It is a place where we fall on our faith in worship and adoration and in praise. Makes you want to sing. <laughs> so this way I say it. He's worthy. Creator, Redeemer, the wonder of the incarnation, inspires worship, and worship works wonders in us. And we have yet to see, until Jesus comes back, what's going to happen in the lives of people, young people, kids. We wonder about them. They're texting all the time. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Hey, pay attention. They could be running the world when you and I are in a rest home. You know? 
Hey, somebody ought to visit Dad. Okay, I'll go see him. <laughs> what are they going to do? You think, oh, I, I don't know about this generation. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait a minute. It's not about them. They're like you and I. They're, they're sinners. They're depraved. They also have potential redemption and possession of the Holy Spirit in them. And this story of Jesus, what could happen with our young people when their hearts are filled with praise and glory and thanksgiving and they go out into this world bearing the precious name of Christ? What kinds of things might happen <laughs> with them? They'd probably write some new music. You hear about the kid who went to church and the music was boring? He's like, oh, man, the music is bad. He obviously didn't go here, yeah. Um, he, he went to church, music was bad. He went to his dad, he said to his dad, Dad, the music, I, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. His dad says, well, hey, if you can write better music, write it. So he did. <laughs> he wrote a lot of songs. Oh, they weren't little light, frivolous, frothy, empty songs. They were heavy-duty songs laden with wonderful theology, songs that Charles wrote. Charles um, was in a little club in Oxford with some friends. It was kind of a revival club. They called it a holy club. They really deeply sought God. Just young guys. And a little spark that was lit in the Oxford and the holy club went around the world. <laughs> Charles uh, Wesley and his brother John, you probably heard of him. Charles had written hundreds, even thousands of songs. He wrote, he wrote a song, and, and when he would write a song, he, he hated it when people would mess with his songs. He would say, I want to write a song, and I don't want you to change the words. And he actually wrote that out in a, in a very specific thing. It's like, you go ahead and use the song if you want to, but don't change any of the words. The words are important to me. One of his friends, George Whitfield. Now, Wesley, Wes, Whitfield was a Calvinist. Wesley was Wesleyan. He was Arminian. But they were, they were devoted to one another, and they were devoted to Christ. And they were so close that George monkeyed around with the words of Chuck's song. <laughs> he said to him, Hark how all the welkin rings just doesn't work. Hark how all the welkin rings. Does anybody here know what welkin even means? The heavens. Listen to the heavens are ringing. He says, why don't you, he changed it, he says, why don't you call it, Hark the herald angels sing. And for centuries we've been singing that. And I think it would be good because I know you want to shout. And I know you want to sing. And I know you want to beam from the inside of your heart because you understand the beauty of this story. Will you sing with me as we are dismissed? This song, you'll find it there on page number 137. We'll sing the first three verses, 137. Hark the herald angels sing. Sing it like you know the story. Let's stand and sing it together.